0: now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all.
1: Inconceivable!
0: (laughs) Yes, the show's serious. That's totally a thing. Thank you.
1: Farzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow.
0: In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? (laughs) Hello, my people, and welcome again to another episode of The Very Serious Writing Show. Hmm. Yes. I tell you what, I did not sleep enough over the weekend. I am not ready for Monday. There is nothing in me that is ready for Monday. It's just not. It's not going to happen. Anyway, (laughs) Enough about me, today we have in Sharon Hink, she's the author of the Restorer Trilogy and today that's partly what we're talking about. Specifically, her unique character development in writing this fantasy trilogy. Some pretty neat stuff that she did. We're also going to get into some business talk. BUSINESS. BUSINESS. And I know, I know a lot of you don't dig the business stuff as much. Coming from a business major, I totally get it. But listen, this stuff is going to be legitimately helpful to you when you go to publish your novel. So specifically, we're going to talk about perma-free publishing, and we're also going to talk about accompanying handbooks for your novels. For some of you, that's going to apply great. So essentially, this is the exact opposite type of episode than the one that we had Thursday. (laughs) Oh, Alex. Well, hey, you all enjoy this. I'm going to go take a nap.
1: Water. As as a little extravagant. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. I am no man.
0: Where are you calling from, Sharon?
1: I'm in Minnesota. Minnesota. Cha you betcha.
0: <laughs> I've got I've got friends in Minnesota. I'm actually got a buddy who's coming to see me today, all the way from Minnesota. So that's cool. <laughs>
1: Where are you based? Where are you out of?
0: Oklahoma.
1: Ah, okay. You're in Okie.
0: I'm an Okie for the last 12 years anyway. I haven't been an Okie for life. I was born in Texas, lived in Virginia, short time in Arkansas. That was terrifying. And now I'm in Oklahoma.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I lived in Virginia for two and a half years. My husband and I went to grad school in Virginia Beach. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What did you get your graduate degree in?
1: communication my major was theater oh and my,
0: really
1: yeah and my um, it took a lot of writing classes there though too so that kind of gave me a jump start for my writing career but my thesis was in dance because I'd been a choreographer and dancer before we went to school there so kind of a hodgepodge <laughs>
0: oh, that's great I'm glad to know that you can you can do multiple things in college simultaneously.
1: Yeah, so well, to, uh, I, I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none.
0: <laughs> well, I, I feel you there. I'm, I'm sitting here running a podcast, and I love to write as well. I have a novel I'm working on, and I love film. Film is something I really dig, and yeah, it's just I'm all over the place. <laughs> so. That's
1: wonderful, though, because you need strong writers in film, and we need more people that are excited about film. And I agree. So I think it's, yeah, I think, I think they all overlap each other, and so good for you. Well, <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm a second-year student in uh, business. I'm taking the business program. Mm-hmm. I feel like the ability to do finances may help me since I'm artistically inclined.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are you are very wise. You, you are very wise. I,
0: I took the advice of my elders.
1: <laughs> uh, it's good thinking. So
0: how long have you been writing, Sharon?
1: Um, well, all my life, but I started my first novel about 10 years ago, I think it was. Yeah. And The Restorer was the first novel that I wrote, but not the first one that got published.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, you have that life of, Secret Life of Becky. Is did I get that secret right? Secret
1: Life of Becky Miller. Yep. I wrote The Restorer and I brought it to a, um, a writer's conference and the editors and agents were interested in it, but they all said, there's no way you can sell a fantasy in the Christian market. Ah. <sighs> But one of the agents loved it so much, just his, because I didn't know if I could write or not, but just the fact that he thought I had the chops motivated me so much, I wrote the second and third book. And it was just for fun, because I knew it was like impossible. They would never get published. Mm -hmm. And then my agent at the time, I, I switched to a different agent, and he suggested trying a different genre to just get my foot in the door. And I loved mom lit. I loved that kind of humorous, twisted look at the struggles that women face. And I was part of a small group Bible study of women who every week talked about all the things they were juggling and trying to be super mom. And I felt like as Christian women, they put even more pressure on themselves. Uh It wasn't just serve the community and serve. But on top of that, you're supposed to save everybody (laughs) for the Lord. And it's like you're taking care of children and taking care of aging parents and... The pressures were incredible. So I wrote a book about a, a, a woman trying to be a supermom, kind of like Secret Life of Walter Mitty, you know, that yeah. sort of thing where she's got all these little dreams about doing heroic things, but her real life feels mundane to her and um, kind of followed her adventure. And that got snatched up pretty fast when mm-hmm. it was finished. And so I published that with Bethany House and did three other books with them. Oh, that's fun. Um, but... Yeah, but in the middle of that then, the editor at NAV Press contacted me and said, you know, you've, you've been building an audience and you've got a twist on this fantasy series that we haven't seen before where you have a middle American soccer mom who's the heroine who gets pulled into this alternate world. And that kind of gives it a keyhole for the typical Christian reader to maybe enter a fantastical story and not be quite as resistant to it. So they went for it and finally got that published. So that was exciting.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it really intrigued me about your stories that you went with this this middle-aged uh, woman, as opposed to like the, you know, the traditional teenager, <laughs> teenage boy that gets thrust right, into this. exactly.
1: It's always the young guy going on the epic heroic journey, mm-hmm. and that's fine. And I love those stories, and I've got tons of them on my bookshelves, but I thought, wouldn't it be fun to see the perspective of a mom? And what does she bring to the adventure? And how does she respond differently when she's you know, thrust into this heroic role? And a lot of the ways that she brings um, solutions to the problems that come up in the story come from her experience as a mom. She does a lot of relational things that drive the story and that comes out of her nature. And I just thought it was fun to explore somebody other than the typical young guy
0: yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, uh, uh, stories have kind of they've, in the, especially in the fantasy genre, they've shoehorned themselves into this position. And you know, a lot of people right now, especially in film, are like, "Hey, guys, we have to be, we, we really need racial diversity, we need gender diversity, we need age diversity." And I'm not, I'm not big yeah, on that bandwagon yeah. just yet. But I'm like, what? Look at all these opportunities that open up when you take a, a character that's different from your traditional and throw them into the story. So props to you yeah. for thinking outside the, the main character box there.
1: Well, thank you. It, it It's a risk because then people who want Lord of the Rings start reading it. And the opening chapter is a mom and her kids quarreling at the supper table. And they're like, what? What's this all about? Mm-hmm. And it kind of turns the genre a little bit on its head. And some people got excited by that. But, of course, you know, it's a risk because if people are expecting standard fantasy Whenever you blend two genres together, it's kind of tough. You don't know if you're going to please either audience. But yeah. a, lot of people, a lot of people have really resonated with the story. So that, that's that been a blessing.
0: Yeah, and I think readers are ready for something different than the, the traditional stuff that we're giving them. So I think those risks are worth it right now.
1: I hope so. I hope so. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have... Part
0: of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions. What percentage? I don't know, 12%. Okay, I'm about to pitch to you the next awful YA book series that your friends will drag you to see that you will mildly enjoy but mostly despise because of your writing upbringing. Right here, right now, ready, here we go. Okay, so the last couple defining YA franchises have all been set in individual genres. Harry Potter covered the fantasy genre. Hunger Games, Dystopia, Twilight Teen Paranormal Romance. It's a very specific genre, but it's definitely a genre all to itself. And We've seen Divergent and Maze Runner try to capitalize on the Dystopia genre, and they haven't been able to do so in as near-defining way as Hunger Games has. So, for this genre, I suggest that we go for something that's still in the undefined territory, steampunk. they it shouldn't be any sort of steampunk like we've seen before. We keep getting these Victoria England style Stuff in books, and I don't think I don't think that's the way to go at first. No, I think that this story should be set in Africa, and the technology should be much more attuned to that sort of culture as opposed to the Victorian England style culture. So Africa should be the primary location, and that should build directly into the theme. Hunger Games presented this great theme about how. Media is desensitizing individuals. I think the theme of this story should be how technology is dehumanizing individuals, and whether or not that's a bad thing. Whether technolo- this, is, this next step in technology is good for mankind or whether it's bad, and it should be shown much more strongly in this culture because all our previous perception of the African culture has been very closely connected to the natural world. And we can see bits and pieces of that in the culture, even as its culture is far more advanced than anything we've seen before, but still using materials and the styles of tribal culture. Second, we should be using a heroine. This should be a female protagonist, a female African protagonist. And when it gets made into a movie, I strongly suggest the gal who plays Annie in the 2014 Annie remake. Because she is the bomb dot com go watch Beast of the Southern Wild if you need more convincing. She is amazing. As Alex demonstrated previously, the YA genre often relies on some type of romance. Recently, a love triangle. I think we can keep with that theme. I think we should have a love triangle. However, the love triangle should be set up this way. We have our female protagonist, we have her best friend, who's also female, and then we have the the love interest, the, the male love interest. So, the triangle Takes these two best friends and pits them against each other and it should really focus on the struggles of having two people who have been friends uh, Vying for the same love interest for the romantic attention of the love interest I think there's a lot more interesting things that can be done there than you can do and that the traditional Sort of love triangle that we saw in Twilight and the Hunger Games finally the plot line itself I think we should borrow a bit from John Green and kind of his teenage expressionist themescape. I think it should be about these people, about this heroine, trying to escape the adult um, requirements for her life, the, the adult expectations, and going on kind of a road trip this journey through this steampunk world up into Europe, possibly to Victoria, England, but especially just spending some time in probably steampunk Italy or steampunk Greece would be a very interesting concept. Steampunk uh, Jerusalem, steampunk Egypt. There's, there's a trajectory that she could take that would really bring in some really unique locations and give her some particular struggles that could be gone through along the way. This is how we define the next YA book series. Food for thought. Someone write this. After all, we're going to need something to complain about after the fifth wave leaves theaters. 12%? ha 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 ha! It's a fake laugh. <laughs> it's real.
1: Totally fake. That is
0: the most real, authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life. Now, hey, one thing I want to ask you more on the marketing side of things. Um, I was looking at your series on Amazon, and I saw that the first one was free on Kindle. And yes. I, and I've seen that uh, True to be true with a lot of, like, the Enclave authors. I, I asked someone about it, and they said it was called permafree. Right. And it's a, it's a marketing technique. Talk to me about that a little bit. It's a strategy.
1: It's a little... uh, Speaking of risks, it's kind of a risk for the publisher to do because you're taking a book that's been fairly successful and now you're giving it away. But Mm -hmm. the idea was to attract some new readership because when a book's been out for a while or a series has been out for a while, and especially when it's something that's so unusual, I mean, this is not an Amish story or a historical romance or you know, the very popular kinds of Christian bookstore books. This is this is an unusual sort of story. So we're trying to find the readers and a great way to do that is just to offer the first book for free and then, you know, people can grab it and start reading it and if they get hooked, then hopefully they'll move on to the other books in the series. So we were very excited. I think the first week that we put it up, there were about 30,000 downloads. <gasps> and- yeah, and now, you know, and then a lot of people, anytime there's a free Kindle book, they'll grab it.
0: I'm one and of those they, people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do it too. And so I've got hundreds in my to be read pile. So clearly, not everybody's going to read it right away. But even if a percentage, you know, 10% eventually read it, and out of that, maybe 50% like it. We're still hopefully going to see some people moving on to the other books in the series. The the perma free idea, especially since the first book came out. I think it was in two thousand eight with Nav Press. Got the whole series published over the course of a couple of years. Then it was picked up by Marcher Lord Press when Nav Press discontinued fiction. Mm-hmm. Then Marcher Lord Press did new editions with expanded material. Then um, Steve and uh, you know Enclave took over. And they came out with the ori- basically the original edition. Um, so yet an, a third edition of all the books, <laughs> and then I wrote a, a fourth book in the series. So it's been it's been in process about seven years this fourth book. So after that long of a wait to release that fourth book, we wanted to do something to boost interest in the series again and get some new people and you know just. Just let people find out about it to lead them into that fourth book. Definitely. And it is hard to market a fourth book in the series because, you know, you're talking about how exciting it is. And if they don't know the characters and the story world and haven't tasted it yet, um, yeah. this way, this way, if I'm talking about this cool new fourth book, The Deliverer, they can go and look at The Restorer and check it out for free and then see if they want to investigate further. So it was a fun idea.
0: I know it helps me as a reader, because, I mean, uh, that's how I got started. I jumped in on uh, Carrie Neitz, his series, oh, yeah. his uh-huh. trilogy. Yep. Um, so I jumped in because the first one was free there, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I appreciate not having to buy a whole series up front, being able to test it out.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So do you think that this technique's been successful for you? I mean, I'm not sure if there's a real way to gauge it, but...
1: Yeah, the... I mean, it's just been a few months now, but the sell-through where we're seeing people picking up the second and third books mm-hmm. definitely seems to indicate, um, I mean, it's, it's a huge improvement over where it was. So I think it's well worth it for us. Um, and I'm very grateful to Steve and Enclave for doing it because I think it, like I said, just found a whole new batch of readers.
0: Okay. Well, that's really cool. I've been curious about uh, how that all works since I first started it. Now, uh, a while back, I was reading a, a previous interview with you, and you were talking about how you used to do, like, how-to articles. And, you know, you do nonfiction, and now you're writing, like, sword clash fantasy. <laughs> which I love. Which is more fun.
1: Oh, by far, I'd rather write novels. There we go. <laughs> um, the, the nonfiction is a nice way for writers to break in, you know, to write for a magazine or a blog. Back, back in my day, there weren't blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I was writing for magazines and book compilations that have like little essays or chapters or whatever. And that's a wonderful way to gain experience. But... It was really interesting. I had been busy running a dance company and raising my kids. I have four, I have four children and, um, ooh, ooh. and was um, praying about what next. It was I had retired from running a dance company and arts ministry and I was kind of burnt out and was praying for direction and I felt God nudging me to write. And so I assumed that meant, oh, okay, start writing magazine articles again, which I had done years earlier, like in grad school and stuff. And I, I kept praying for support and, you know, something to help me get, get going. And I finally found through a, a bunch of neat, um, not coincidences, but those God-driven coincidences, if you know what I mean, it just mm-hmm. a series of events. I found a Christian writers group, and so I, I went to it. And everybody in the group, we would, they would read from their work each time we met. They were all working on novels and they were having so much fun. And I thought, I want to play too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I started writing The Restorer. And seriously, I had no clue how unmarketable the story was and how, you know, writing on spiritual and Christian themes, this was not the genre that, <laughs> that the so Christian just- bookstores were looking for. But I didn't care. I just mm-hmm. it was just a story that poured out of my heart and my imagination. And so that's yeah, it's so much more fun. How about you? What do you think? Oh I've Because you do writing. Do you like writing fiction the best?
0: Oh, definitely. And it's comedy especially out of that, though I have grown to like nonfiction more. Coming to college and getting into some essays. I mean I did essays through my high school career. Yeah, is that a high school career? I don't know. I was yep. homeschooled, so I mean, it was a thing. But yep. um, but yeah, high sc- I, I did some essays there, and I I kind of liked them. But getting here and having open topics every time, I really dig that.
1: Yeah, so you can pick something you have a passion about.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I can research it real deep. And I do I do enjoy me some research. That go harkens back to uh, a while back. I wrote a, uh, his, a his fic set during World War Two. So I mean that. It ties in there, but definitely, definitely writing uh, fiction. I just love it. It's it's
1: great stuff. That's tricky with research. I mm-hmm. find, like, I do a lot of freelance editing, and I find it's a real challenge for authors when they've done the research to put the right amount into the book because yes. the, because they've done so much research and they've fallen in love with all these cool facts that they've discovered. So have
0: put in all the details.
1: details. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they want to have it all in there and... And then it's I, I send little notes to the author, you know, oh, this is great detail for you to have, but the mm-hmm. reader doesn't need it. <laughs> Keep yeah. the story moving. That's really tricky. It is.
0: And that's one thing I really focused on is going in the opposite direction with my hisfic. I did a lot of research, but I said, I mean, and once again, it's a World War II story, so there's a lot of information available, except in certain parts of the world. So I set my story in Luxembourg. Oh. Do you know where Luxembourg is?
1: In in what? It's,
0: it's definitely Ellic- in Europe. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, it's it's a tiny little country. It's about right. hundred miles at its widest. You know, it's just a tiny little country, but it's like a pea sized. And there's just enough there for me to go in and use details of the world, and then obviously some World War II details. But I, my focus was I'd read so many uh, hisfix like you're talking about that are just world rich. Mm -hmm. And no story (laughs) or very little action. And for, you know, as a teenager, I really, I got bored easy. Right. And I'd get a book set in the Civil War and be like, oh my gosh, you're saying this on a plantation in the Civil War. Are we ever going to get to any of the fun stuff? (laughs) So my book ended up being something, (laughs) something like Die Hard meets Gladiator with Nazis. It was really... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was that's
1: a great description
0: yeah I came up with that the other day I was like yeah that about sums it up I mean it was just a fun thing to go in and do as an action story and' well, uh,
1: that's, that's hard to do in epic fantasy also is that you create you build a story world and so you know their history and all the the different like I have all these different clans and mm-hmm. and their science is different than our world and their Um, you know, just everything, all their traditions, their food, their animals. And so you build this rich story world, but then it's really important to only have tidbits where it matters to the story and not get bogged down in all of that. Mm -hmm. And that's always very tricky. So um, I, I I continued to wrestle with that as I wrote the fourth book, The Deliverer, where I've set up, you know, this whole... You've had three lengthy books beforehand, plus all this history, and I tried to just dive right in with some action and then keep things moving and hope that the reader can pick it up as they go along instead of stopping to explain things.
0: Yeah, and that's got to be so hard because, you know, the researchers, they find something and they fall in love with history, but you're falling in love with something that you've created Right. <laughs> you spend all this time making the world, and you may maybe you have maps, and you've got all these details, and you can't use them all.
1: Right. Oh, exactly. And it's fun because I, I ended up creating some bonus scenes and some bonus material on my website. I have there's a game called Parish that mm-hmm. a lot of the characters play at various in some of the books. So we created. My my youngest daughter helped me. We created rules for the game. It's played with these different stones. And so I put all the rules for how to play parish on my website. And then I included like recipes. They always they drink something called clavo, which is like a clove spiced tea. Yeah. And so I have info on that and some of the other they eat caradoc stew and a caradoc is, is a kind of similar to a sheep. It's kind of a small furry domesticated animal. Mm-hmm. So all those sorts of fun extras, I can put it on my website, and then the people who want to really geek out and you know find all that stuff can do that. But in the storyline, I try to not stop and explain and just keep things moving. And it works. The first book, especially, because it's all in the point of view of the woman from our world, we kind of learn as she learns. And so we just get thrust into it with her and everything she experiences. She asks questions and she figures things out. And so that's how the reader kind of goes along for the ride.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it excites me as a marketing major. As you were talking, I'm just going, oh, wait, all these other details. Because uh, we, we, we build so many details into our stories. These are marketing details. These are bonus stuff that we can use to right. promote our story. And that that excites me. I'm like, right. wow, these are well, options.
1: <laughs> and also the, the things like um, readers group, discussion guides. There's so many... Mm -hmm. So many folks that have um, book clubs, and so to have a discussion guide so a book club can read the book, and you've given them something to springboard their discussion off of. And right now on my website, I have a free devotional book based on the themes that are in the Restorer books, um, the Sword of Lyric books. Um, The first book, I was really inspired by the story of Deborah in the Book of Judges, and so she was called A Mother in Israel. So, my modern day mother was sort of patterned after Deborah, mm-hmm. who rode into battle. So, um, I dug into that and created a Bible study around the story of Deborah and some of the other themes in the first book. And then, the Restorer's son, the hero in that book, is patterned after Gideon, also in the book of Judges. And the Restorer's journey is inspired by King David, the shepherd king um, from the Old Testament. And then. Okay. The deliverer is well. I don't want to give away too much, but the deliverer has, is really inspired by another biblical character. So, um,
0: so you have a little bit of allegory in there, yes, allegorical elements.
1: Yeah, I kind of wince at the at the word allegory. Oh, yeah, I
0: understand. Has,
1: yeah, because it can kind of be too on the nose. I agree. You know, like you know, this represents that, and you know, and and I I would say that. There are certainly spiritual um, symbolism and themes and inspiration. It's not a direct allegory. If anything, I'd say the theme that emerges, like the first book, you know, here there's, there's a woman pulled into another world and people can say, well, I can't identify with that. I've never been pulled into another world. but. I was thinking about my friend who has breast cancer. She was pulled into a world she never expected to have to face. Or a friend who finds out that her child has autism. Suddenly she's thrust into a world where she doesn't know the language, she doesn't know the rules, and yet she's expected to fill a heroic role. Hmm. So I, I think women, modern day women, are often pulled into a world we don't expect. So for me, that was a bit of the allegory of the story, is that you know, here's a woman pulled into this epic sword sword fighting adventure, you know, the heroic role, but it really is a symbol for what many modern people face. They get pulled into worlds they didn't expect to have to to journey through.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. That's cool.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that 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 I guess that that is the appeal of a story where you're taken to another I never thought of it that way. Oh right. my gosh. Now, how much success have you had with like the, the study guides and the companions along with them? Do the readers really seem to respond to that?
1: I think so. I, I One of my favorite things about being a writer is getting email from readers. Mm-hmm. And I know I've heard from readers who've hosted restorer parties. Like when the Deliverer <laughs> released last summer, um, there were a couple people that hosted big parties. They decorated. They had... They chose music for a soundtrack. They had menus from the books. And oh, that's used, cool. Yeah, they used the you know discussion guides and devotion guides for things. So, so they made a big, a big deal of it, which is great fun. I love to see people get that engaged in the stories. So I think they're very helpful. And then other people, just in their own personal Bible study and devotion time, love having that. Like where they're reading a novel, and then they can springboard from that into some Bible study about those themes.
0: And now a word from the 12th Doctor. Don't be lasagna. You're listening to The Very Serious Writing Show. Puppetry class. My college has a puppetry class. It's a legitimate three-hour course on puppetry. I want to go to this class just so I can say that this semester I'm taking business statistics, principles of macroeconomics, intro to managerial accounting, and puppetry. Yeah. I feel like that would justify my entire collegiate existence. If you enjoyed Sharon Hink, you ought to tune back in this Thursday because she will return. She will return. And we will be talking more about her new book, The Deliverer, and other things. I haven't gone back and listened to that last half of the interview. So I can't exactly tell you what those other things are, but they are coming. There is no stopping them now. They will be here, and you will hear them. So if you want, like, a reminder to to hear it, you can subscribe on SoundCloud, you can subscribe on iTunes, you can follow me on the Facebooks, where I always post annoying stuff like this, or the Twitters, where I post exclusively annoying stuff like this, or Goodreads, where I don't post anything at all. It's not entirely true. I updated it, what, a month ago? It's whenever I decided that I wanted to read Children of the Mind by Orson Scott Card, which is a pretty good book thus far. I'm a little bit confused, but I mean, that's kind of why I read an Orson Scott Card novel. That's why anyone does that, right? Yeah, right. So, follow Sharon in the places that we... (laughs) I guess we didn't talk about where you can follow Sharon. You can pick up her first book for free. You ought to do that. You really ought to do that. I mean, it's a free book after all. It's not like one of those library books, those crummy library books that they give away because no one wants to read them. This is like a legit good book, and since the series is on ongoing, is is worth is worth looking into. I will catch you all again Thursday. God bless us, everyone. <laughs>